Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Fellow conspiracy realist, we can't wait for you to hear our latest classic episode. Honestly, behind the curtain, Matt Noel, this came to us, I think, at least in part, uh, due to Sequest. Remember that TV show, Sequest? Totally, with the talking dolphin and yeah. Jonathan Brandis from NeverEnding Story 2 yes. and Ladybugs. It's like Wait. Star Trek in the water. Are we talking about Sea Lab? Because I no, remember no, Sequest C-Lab. DSV. That's this is pre this was sort of the same vibe. Sea Lab was like, you know, the cartoon or the, the adult swim thing that used like weird old cartoons to make a kind of send up y, uh, you know, kind of sci fi undersea show. But Sequest was with Roy Scheider, you'll remember from Jaws fame, um, kind of got a reputation for being seafaring. And uh, yeah, the kind of teen sort of heartthrob of the time, Jonathan Brandis, and there was a talking dolphin named, I can't remember now, Darwin? I think it was named Darwin. Hmm. Well, it all prompted us to ask whether there are any real underwater bases. Like, is is there a world government or maybe a world corporation that is powerful enough to have a secret supervillain lair beneath the waves? Yes. Oh, wait, well, you know, maybe we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, we'll listen see. to the episode. Here we go. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Deccant. Paul Deccant's in the house, ladies and gentlemen. Paul, this is this is a new development, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I prefer Deschamps. <laughs> yeah, we've been embiggening the uh, How Stuff Works, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know family. Is he the guy that made that toilet they got in the art museum? Yeah, definitely. He's, he's a man of many talents. Oh, no, that's Duchamp. Oh, yeah, Duchamp. This is Descamps, and uh, he's... Um, he's a philosopher. He's a philosopher and filmmaker. Mm-hmm. He's been around just forever. And worked uh, closely with me on some other shows that we do with How Stuff Works. Mm-hmm. And, and an unending source of uh, pre-show banter. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, so that's Paul. Paul is Paul. You are you, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, so everybody write in and uh, wish Paul luck having to deal with us. Yes, please <laughs> do that. Uh, so we've talked in the past about the world's extensive network of military bases. Uh, these could be publicly acknowledged. These could be speculated mm-hmm. uh, or speculative, or uh, they could be just rumors on the dark web, right? Yeah, exactly. The um, The deep underground military bases episode still holds a special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. And, and we had an ice, yeah. ice base episode. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah. So this is sort of like, this is like a trilogy? Can we call this the third part of a trilogy? I think there might even be more. Can we call it the Base God trilogy? Yes. 
Okay. Awesome. If we don't get sued. Uh, so just on a, a personal thing, I don't talk about personal stuff too much on the show, but I grew up on a series of military installations. Were any of them underwater? <laughs> Not to my knowledge, you know. They did have pools. Mm. You probably got memory wiped. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I did. Uh, I was on, um, I was on a number of U.S. military bases, uh, proven ones, public ones. Uh, today the U.S. operates around 800 military bases that we know about. And they're not, they're not all uh, the super nice bases like you would see in South Korea or in Germany, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are in places that are in the grips of tyrannical governments, right? Yeah, that, that's one thing to note here. Many of the United States military bases, or at least ones that they control, are not inside the United States. They're in other countries that they're operating in cooperation with another country. And if you want to see uh, a very sobering map, uh, I would highly recommend you check out the ma- uh, any variety of maps, which will show you the number of U.S. military bases on foreign soil uh, directly surrounding Iran. Yeah. And how many people would you say typically does a military base make? It ranges widely. Yeah, it ranges. It could be, it could be very small. That's an excellent question. It could be very, very small and it could also uh, be the size of a city, you know, and in many ways, uh, some of the larger bases are built so that people who live there either as support staff or military officers or family members never have to leave the base. They have yeah. multiple schools, multiple shops. There are different um, restaurants, bars, bowling alleys, religious buildings. Think about an aircraft carrier. That's essentially the size of a city with the number of people in a small city just roaming around in the international waters. That's and so it's crazy. a base, too. I've only been to one. Actually, that's not true. I was born on a military base, but I don't remember it very well. But in my hometown of Augusta, Georgia, there's a big one called Fort Gordon. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I can really remember about it is that it has a really big Burger King. Nice. <laughs> like a plush yeah. premium Burger King. Sweet. The uh, the largest – well, it depends on how you measure it. But as we're recording this, the largest military base on U.S. soil is Fort Bragg. It has a population of just under 240,000 people. Wow. And that's the like active living there population, which is huge. Mm-hmm. This number that we're – we're mentioning here around 800 scattered across the globe doesn't really encapsulate everything because it doesn't count the number of ongoing training or non-permanent exercises, some of which can last indefinitely. Mm. Right. So the way a lot of these things would work would be a situation where the U.S. military partners with the military of another Nation, Let's another, say Afghanistan like they're currently doing. Right. And uh, they train the in-country military members to uh, to learn how to use U.S. military tech, to learn how to use the various strategies and techniques. And despite being called non-permanent, as we've seen, that stuff can become a quagmire mm-hmm. and we can have a de facto functioning military base. These are, without a doubt, I think you'll hear us say this on our on our earlier segments of our Base God trilogy. Uh, these are, without a doubt, controversial organizations. U.S. leadership will claim that these have numerous benefits. They'll say we have to have bases in Europe to protect our European allies, primarily from Russia. Mm-hmm. Right? No surprise there. Uh, the bases in the Middle East are often touted as containing Iranian influence, which is kind of a tricky term, and ensuring the free flow of oil. So there's a pretty public acknowledgement that that is about ensuring access to resources. Then, of course, you've got bases uh, throughout Asia that a lot of times would be said as defending U.S. allies from this rising threat or at least perceived threat from a military standpoint of China and possibly an unstable North Korea, which seems to be, again, every time we make one of these podcasts, there seems to be more news coming out. Mm-hmm. It's, again, 
North Korea is a threat that is really on the radar of at least the president and the military here in the United States. Yeah, and it's on the it's on the radar of the Western world. Mm-hmm. It's definitely on the radar of its patron state, China. Uh, yeah, I think I think geopolitically, it is very much becoming an unsustainable situation and a flashpoint. These military bases, regardless of which country owns or runs them, are multifunctional. They're surveillance hubs. They gather all the intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen those. You know, people will go back and forth with you about what should count as a base. Like, are the listening centers in Five Eyes, are they military installations or are they just a different branch of a base? Regardless of how they are categorized, often military bases are home to surveillance hubs. They may be home to detainment centers where in U.S. law does not apply as much as it would to citizens. Like the ones where they strap you down to a chair and make you listen to Jefferson Starship at, you know, 150 decibels for days at a time. Yeah, the good old black sites. That happened to me. What? Yeah. What's why I am the way I am. Oh, it makes so much sense. <laughs> the uh, the black sites might be a little bit different because they were hands off. Yeah, exactly. Technically it's, run by other countries. It's a black site that exists inside the yeah, <laughs> it's military more of a, base. It's more of a gray site. Yeah, it's a gray site. You're right. It never happened. Okay. Right? Uh, these can also be really important refueling or re-equipping spots. Mm-hmm. They can be links or vertebrae in the uh, supply chain mm-hmm. of an operation. And, of course, much more. It is, as we said, enormously controversial because U.S. military bases count as U.S. soil, regardless of the country in which they're situated. Yeah, I have a birth certificate that says I am a citizen born abroad because I was born on an American military base in Germany. Whoa, you – could you not ever be a president? Like no, a president? he can be president. I think I would. I think it counts because it's yeah. on a military installation. Because like because what Ben just said about yeah. the whole magical soil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, these are also, of course, a huge trope in fiction, right? Mm-hmm. And whenever we see them in fiction, they're they're never quite normal, boring bases. They're super secret. They uh, they don't they, have Burger Kings. They don't. They don't have Burger Kings. <laughs> Uh, and they, they're often. I mean, they might if there's a product tie-in. But. Yeah, they might, but if they do have a product tie-in, then it's gonna be better than the average Burger King. That's yeah. true. You'll have like a super whopper. They might have an awesome theme song like, Sea Lab Underneath the Water. Spoilers, man. Oh, that's, that's for Paul. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's great is, uh, since this is an audio show, uh, I wish we could Tell you, friends and neighbors, uh, that Matt just did the most endearing look around after he did that, yeah, like, hey, that guys, bit of a jingle. Anybody? <laughs> no? No? Adult swim? Okay. All right. I'll leave. Uh, so, you know, when we think of these military bases in fiction, they're always doing amazing stuff. They're, they're pretty much always privy to technology that's beyond the grasp of the public mm-hmm. or we're in a post-apocalyptic scenario where they're the last bastion of humanity, but still somehow terrifically flawed. Yeah, there has to be a reason you're in this extreme place inside a base. It's not like you just built that base there because it was a good idea. So what what are some... Might have just been to save face. Maybe. (laughs) Save base face? Oh, boy. You're just doing... It's like you're in this extreme place when you're in this base. Oh, wow. I wasn't feeling... It's not just to save a... Now I'm doing the look around. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm in outer space. All right. I think we... I think we all... You can't rhyme space with space, bro. The the thing we're all familiar with, right, uh, is, is this idea of these enormously advanced and secretive bases. Uh, what, what are some in fiction that you all remember? Uh, for me, I always think of the floating uh, bases in superhero or comic fiction like S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. and the Avengers. I think it's so cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, for me, it's Austin Powers and uh, Dr. Evil. He had several bases, some underwater, some in volcanoes. I get confused because we've been talking about like the ice bases and, you know, the underwater bases and like now I'm thinking of like moon bases and mm-hmm. stuff with James Bond is what I think yeah. of. Oh, yeah. Um, but I actually – there isn't exactly 
an ice base in James Bond movies. I was like, surely there absolutely is. But I couldn't there, – there was one kind of from one of the later movies, but it wasn't really like a secret military installation or like a mm. – I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. But that is sort of – James Bond movies are the king of weird bases. True. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Remember all your base are belong to us? Uh-huh. Yeah. What was that about? That I think that was about poor translation services. Yep. Right? Is that where it goes back to? That's correct. And then there's also a, a very interesting subgenre. Right, in fiction where there are underwater research facilities. Oh, the abyss. Yeah, you remember the abyss? Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, there was also sphere. <laughs> there was sphere. I'm thinking of one in particular, uh, deep blue sea. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. It's like an evil shark. Yeah. Was that? <laughs> Do not spoil deep blue sea <laughs> All right. for the listeners of this show. Okay. They okay. need to watch that movie. Okay. Absolutely. Perhaps a better word is experience that yes. movie too. My head's like a shark's fin. <laughs> Nobody? That was the, it was like LL Cool J. That was the deep blue sea theme, deep, deep blue sea theme. God, memories. It's all good. So, but here's the big question. What's that? Could any of these things that are represented in Hollywood, represented, you know, in animation, could any of these be actually real? We didn't even talk about Sequest. We didn't. I'm not, and C-Lab. C-Lab, yeah. Well, I mentioned it. Right, but this is the callback to your sort of like <laughs> – Yeah, and C-Lab, C-Lab, they had all those pods that were uh, yeah. built up down there. It was really interesting. But that show was making fun of like a absurdly common trope, whether it's like, you know, Sequest or the James Bond thing or uh, any of like the Abyss, all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's this sense that like this is where the scientists like do their – Dirty work. Yeah. Did you work on C-Lab? Hey, write to us. Let us know. <laughs> Just tell us the secrets of the show because we, we love it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the most immediate example of a secret base in a weird environment, I feel like we have to give it an honorable mention, is Area 51. Absolutely. Totally, because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't officially even acknowledged until 2013, um, just four years ago, and that was via some declassified documents from the um, National Security Archive. Uh, so Area 51, at least officially, is was located in a remote part of the Nevada desert where the testing of highly classified aircraft um, was able to take place, you know, beyond the the prying eyes of of the public and at least relatively, press. relatively sure. Uh, and if you want, you can see a list of over sixty declassified documents on the site if you just search for the Area Fifty One file. NSA archive. So that's some, some fun reading material. Oh, right it's there. great. Mm-hmm. It goes in all different kinds of aspects going into the spy planes, uh, some of the stealth aircraft, uh, the high velocity aircraft, how they were able to like just the testing of it over the years and what worked, what didn't some of the, uh, some of the problems that they ran into with mm-hmm. being discovered essentially or reported as UFOs. Yeah. Right. It's really interesting. Uh, yeah. And I think you had in our notes, Matt, that the single that that single instance or that trove of docs could make for its own episode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so, again, honorable mention for Area 51 aside, could any of this strange stuff out of fiction be, you know, real? Yeah, where does it get crazy? Is it? It's soon, right? It's after a word from our sponsor. Oh, cool. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real, live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun! Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Here's where it gets crazy. God, I love it when he does that. I know, every time. The U.S. really may have some bases in strange environments, and we cannot say whether there's anything permanent on the moon. No. Right? <laughs> uh, we just can't say. We're, we're not right. saying no, there's nothing on the moon. We just can't. We don't know. <laughs> we were very careful with that one. And the International Space Station, or ISS, is more like a jointly run laboratory. Mm -hmm. But we know the U.S. and other countries, I'm so cartoonishly proud of this, have floated. Oh, boy. Get it? It's written down right here, folks. <laughs> the idea of building bases underwater. I was up too late. <laughs> so we know that the U.S. has been experimenting with the concept of undersea habitats since at least the 1960s. Hey, remember that show Sea Lab? It was an actual thing. You might not remember this. It was called Sea Lab. Yeah, and, we, I think we kind of jumped the sea shark and, uh, <laughs> talking about that one a little too early, but that, I'll take the, I'll take the fall for that one, guys. No worries. Uh, but there was Sea Lab 1, or just Sea Lab, the original, then there was 2, and Sea Lab 3. The Sea Labining. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I like that. Yeah, this was, uh, this was a series of experiments meant to prove the viability of saturation diving and of having humans living in isolation in small groups for an extended period of time, which reminds me when we talk about people stuck in research centers in Antarctica. Do you think they had any frogmen on staff? I would, I would hope so. These would have to be very experienced divers, so I would yeah. not be surprised. Uh, there was – in this political environment in the 60s, a fellow named C.F. Austin of the China Lake Naval Ordnance Test Station proposed something he called the rock site concept. OK. I'm with you. <laughs> These would be manned undersea installations that were built into the rock of the seafloor, which sounds kind of crazy, but there were already well – understood principles used by the mining industry for decades and decades. So Austin essentially said, why don't we use this mining technology, these mining techniques, and make large bases anywhere there's suitable bedrock inside the ocean at any depth? That Okay, so I got some... I got some issues and some stuff to go in here. So first of all, we're talking about mining operations where they're building drills or they're sending drills deep down into the ocean and sure. they're having to build infrastructure to maintain those the large pipes and everything that are going down there and the pumps and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. I understand that. That's in the 60s. I'm just trying to wrap my head around any depth because there are such issues with creating mm – -hmm. You know, an, an environment at, with pr at pressure, 
Yeah. And then just sending people down there. Man, I don't know. I, I love that in the 60s, uh, this gentleman, C.F. Austin, and, uh, you know, a whole host of other people thought that this was a viable idea. And it makes me think, where are we now if in the 60s right. we could have done that? Ooh. Yeah, you could lower a tunnel boring machine into a, a mine shaft a shaft in the ocean floor into pieces and then you assemble it inside the tunnel to make more tunnels. Uh, you know, we, we talked before about Camp Century mm -hmm. in Antarctica where they built a tunnel for a small nuclear reactor. Which already, if you are uncomfortable with the ocean, if you have a fear of drowning, I think being next door to the nuclear reactor tunnel is – Encased in ice, no less. Yeah, is uh, an extra bit of icing on the uh, crippling phobia cake. You ever tried to like think about what it would feel like to drown? Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think – Matt, did this just occur to you? Do you not – no, I just thought about it for the first time and I did not like what Well, it's like I was one of those things where you're like, what would it feel like to not exist? And so you sort of can't wrap your head around it. You know? mm -hmm. It's it kind of like that. Yeah. A little easier to wrap your head around in a terrifying way. It feels like it would be an easier way to go than say, the, I guess the opposite would be burning alive. If I had a choice, if I had to choose one, yeah, drown me all day. I'll, I'll go for Ugh. the Salem witch test. You guys go for it. I'm going to stay over here on land and breathe in air. Are we being too morbid, Matt? No. It, it's great. Our uh, coworker, Holly Fry, who we talk about sometimes, she will not buy a car that doesn't have manual windows in case she ever, uh, you know, goes off a bridge in her car and yep. then, you know, the windows don't work and then you can't escape. Yeah, I bought a specific tool that I keep next to me at all times. A smasher? Yeah, it's a yeah. specific smasher. With a little blade to cut the seatbelt yep, as well. Everything you need. Dang, Matt. Those are good. I want to hang out with you in the... <laughs> no, you don't. I've got a tiny little container of seeds and that thing, and that's it. And a machete. <laughs> a machete. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that tool is a tool that I strongly recommend everybody keep in their car along with a duffel bag that can sustain you, clothe you, and feed you for 24 hours. A go bag, they call mm -hmm. them. If you are listening to the show, you probably already know about these things. Well, I'm sorry we took a turn for the morbid, Matt, especially because I'm going to squeeze in one side fact that is even more morbid. Here in the U.S., we have no idea how many cars, to Holly Fry's point, uh, have fallen into lakes only to be discovered years later when weather patterns change or when uh, the lakes dry up and there are hundreds and they have corpses in them. Mm. So I, I just want you to think about that next time you drive by a lake. Drive very carefully. Don't be a statistic. Great. Or if you're going to be a statistic, be like a cool statistic. I escaped. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a great one. I escaped and saved some people. Yeah. And go. have really great hair mm -hmm. and pectorals. Mm -hmm. And I can lower my body temperature whenever I want. With your mind? With my mind. You're one of those? Yep. That makes sense. I, I feel like if somebody didn't know Matt and they just saw him on the street, they would think he was the type to do that. They'd mm -hmm. be like, that guy – controls his body temperature. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So to escape from the morbidity, let's, let's look at some of, let's play a thought experiment. Okay. Right? If, if we were building a permanent undersea base, we'd have some pretty compelling advantages if we could pull it off. Mm -hmm. We'd have some very high stakes and dangerous, uh, obstacles, possible mm -hmm. consequences, uh, advantages, seabed. Or sea cover. You've got an extra layer of security. It's inaccessible to conventional forces. Yeah, you can't just head on down there in a boat or a plane or a car or anything like that. You have to have specific gear to get down to that depth. Yeah, you probably are not able to just jump in and swim. No. Swim over there. Stupid question. Hmm. Is there like a limit for how long submarines will stay completely submerged? I mean, I know people will go out on ships for a long time, but if you're on a sub, are you like underwater like all the time? There are there are limits. They vary on the class of submarine. Right. Uh but there are 
there are both hard psychological limits mm-hmm. and hard right. resource limits. But why couldn't they just recreate the conditions of like a sub, but like in something that's somehow anchored to the ocean floor, like whether it's chained mm-hmm. to the seafloor or like 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 you were talking about, made through some kind of rock rock outcropping or something like that. Yeah, that's the that's one of the most compelling arguments because we know that submarines can already exist at least approximately at these depths. The big question is whether humans can exist for an indefinite time there without uh, running out of air or food or, frankly, candidly, I know it's disturbing, uh, killing each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, a, like a John Carpenter movie type scenario. Exactly. Like a, like a bottle episode of a sitcom gone wrong, you know? And, well, and yeah, depending yeah. on where this base is constructed, like if it's – deep underground in some kind of cavern or something, you could escape all kinds of natural disasters, all kinds of weather, mm-hmm. um, just hundred. I, there are hundreds of things you could get away from just because you're deep inside the earth, inside the water. This idea is really starting to appeal to you, isn't it, Matt? It really is starting to appeal to me. However, there are some problems. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's enormously expensive, not like, just to build it. Yeah, but just to keep people alive in it is financially it is a challenge. Costs that I cannot fathom. Huh? Fathom? Yes. Nice. Get it? Yeah. Oh, uh, we also are not sure. We have a lot of research on the long-term effects of semi-permanent life in the depths or in isolation, but we don't have a solid enough case to know what would happen if we built a base that was supposed to last for a hundred years. I know it would really have to be in a league of its own. <laughs> oh boy. Well, yeah. And you would probably have to set it up where personnel on base are only there in, you know, increments of time. Sure. Right? Yeah. You, like on a submarine. Exactly. You'd have to set it up that way. So Here's the other question. Let's say the worst possible thing happens. Let's say there's a super secret undersea military base and it's somehow doing some sketchy stuff in violation of international law, Mm -hmm. right? And everything's uh, humming along quite nicely until a catastrophe occurs. Maybe a a cavern collapses, a uh, submarine that is docking there for some reason explodes. There is a fire that damages any – Air recycling mm-hmm. stuff. Unexpected volcanic activity. Unexpected. Ooh, that's a great one. Yeah. Unexpected volcanic or geothermal activity. Could the people at the base be saved? And how? Because this would still be sort of an off the books. Yeah. Structure. Off the book structure and trying to get, you know, depending on how many people you have there, getting enough of those people safely to the surface without causing any of the effects that you get from surfacing too quickly or, you know, there are so many problems. Right. The bends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah even if they're in pressure, it, I guess it would be a little easier, but just some crazy things to think about. So with those things in mind, what, what sort of stuff would people build or what have they built? And perhaps most importantly, why, why do this? You know, one thing I was thinking just before, Hmm. The bane of any secret undersea base is Navy frogmen. I'm telling you, those Navy frogmen are going to get in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. riding their human torpedoes. Well, we do know that there are a f- there are multiple non-military experiments with uh, the viability of life undersea, and the U.S. Navy actually has a small scale version of a underwater military operation right here in the good old U.S. of A. It's something that we had never heard about before. It's called the United States Navy Acoustic Research Detachment, or ARD. Okay, that's a that's a long one. It's located in Lake Pend Oriel in Bayview, Idaho. And uh, this lake is the largest one in Idaho. It's also the deepest and the quietest. It has a surface area of 148 square miles, and the the highest depths depths, or the lowest depths, I guess, are up to 1,100 feet. And it has an almost constant surface temperature of 39.5 degrees Fahrenheit, and most importantly for this base, 
Most of the shoreline on this lake is not populated. It consists of mostly national forests that are owned by the government. And there are a couple uh, little pockets of humanity and civilization that live there in these little resort areas. Yeah. But that's it. So what what are they doing? What kind of stuff are they up to there in Idaho? Well, they are they are building and testing unmanned scaled-down submarines. That sounds cool, right? So think about uh, the drone technology that you're aware of that we've seen in the news with the uh, the airplanes, right? They're doing that with submarines. They're about a quarter of the length of a full-size sub, and they're testing brand-new state-of-the-art acoustic technology and uh, probably uh, lots of other revolutionary tech that we don't know about. And, so- and they're testing them on this lake specifically because it's so quiet and because it's so calm uh-huh. and there's just no other interference. So their tests can come out almost pristine. So one quarter the length of a full-size sub would make that up to 88 feet? Yeah, 88 feet is kind of an average for what you would see there because, you know, the the different models of the submarines vary. And the really cool thing about utilizing these models rather than full-size submarines in this lake is that it saves anybody listening, including the four of us, uh, who is a citizen of the United States, a lot of money. I think at the time when the article we were reading for this was written, which is years and years and years ago, uh, the quote was that they save billions of dollars in development costs. So I can only imagine that that's you know, exponentially increased in savings over time. And – at first blush, there doesn't seem to be anything nefarious about this. This is just a testing center, and they're hoping to save money and probably ultimately save lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, on the surface, absolutely true. But you guys, let's say that you're, you know, an underwater military scientist. You've been, you know, working on your human experiments in your secret underwater base, lab, whatever, and you want to take a little break What's a what's what's a, a a scientist like that to do for a little respite? Well, I'll tell you, you go to one of the world's many underwater hotels. Oh, buddy, because that's obviously you spend all your time <laughs> toiling away in an underwater lab. You want to go on vacation in, in in an underwater thing. Well, as well. yeah, you you want to ride that same feeling that you've had. You just want to make it more positive. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm 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 kidding. But there, yeah, you know, there's a, this is a thing. Underwater hotels, and at first, that was the first thing that popped in my head. Where it's like. Duh, cracked it. They've been doing these underwater hotels things in Dubai and Key West forever. And then I look it up and it's like a whopping 20 feet below the yeah. ocean surface. And I'm like, that's not nearly as impressive as what we're talking about. I'd so. still stay in one. Oh, sure. The They're cool looking. There's this one called Atlantis at the Palm in Dubai. Very opulent. This one in Key West, the uh, Planet Ocean Underwater Hotel straight up looks like Sea Lab. Look at this. Whoa, that Probably is Probably consciously, cool. right? It looks yep. like a, a series of pods. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's pretty cool. So maybe we'll take a group, uh, a group vacation to one of those one day. Yes, please. We'll have a conspiracy adventure all our own, right? Yes. Uh, and just to really quickly jump back over to, uh, to the acoustic, the Navy acoustic research detachment, just to give some history. Uh, we have a quote from an LA Times article here, and it says that the Navy's acoustic research detachment plays a key role in the quest for ever quieter submarines. It's the only active duty remnant of the former Farragut Naval Training Center, which was there and it was established during World War II. And, uh, in 1946, most of that center's 4,000 acres became a state park, but they kept along a lot, uh, a couple other parts of this base and they built it out to do this whole uh, drone submarine testing for the acoustics. And it's relatively small too, just like, uh, 22 acres, right? Yeah, 22 acres along the lake's south end. And, uh, there's a resort community of 300 people near it. So like, you're not, you're not dealing with a ton of boats, a ton of people on the water. But you are, if you're walking along the shore, maybe on vacation and save yeah. you, uh, you do have a chance to see remote-controlled model submarines. Uh, they're housed in these sheds built over the lake. So the models are not armed as far no. as we could find. They're not testing weaponry. Um, At least officially they're not. And one weird thing is that they have they have people protesting nuclear power there, but it doesn't have any nuclear facilities. Yeah, that's true. There <laughs> – there were a lot of people thinking that there was a nuclear facility that was going to be built there. 
Um, and we'll get in. There are a lot of rumors and interesting things going on there uh, at this lake, Lake Pend Oriel. Or Oriel, somebody correct me. Tell me how to say it correctly. There was another quotation that uh, you found, Matt, that I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, it says, over the years, the base's mission has sparked rumors and dark fantasies. Some locals believe a secret underwater river provides the gateway for full-size subs from the Pacific Ocean, about 300 miles away, and... For our cryptid fans, there's one more fun fact. That's what makes me smile. Oh, yeah. What is it, No. And another legend links the base and a mythical underwater beast named Pondy. So, Pondy, yeah. if you're listening, big fans. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never heard of Pondy. I'm just a fan in theory. I love you, well, yeah. Pondy. So here's the deal why I think Pondy exists. This is just my take. So okay. this thing's been around. There's been... There's been testing here since World War II, right? And you've got kids growing up there who go on the lake. Now, most of the testing, they say, occurs uh, in the deepest areas of the lake, kind of towards the center areas, and at night when the surface wind speeds are at their lowest. So most of the acoustic stuff, the boom, boom, all that kind of stuff is Good occurring job. in the water at night when, you know, maybe you're a kid down by the dock. Maybe you jumped in the water for a second and just you just the hear time that. roll boom, away. Boom, boom, you're just like, what? Pondy? It must be Pondy, man. That's scamp. <laughs> I can totally see that happening. He, he's got to be like Cecil from the Beanie and Cecil show. You know, like oh. a friendly kind of goofball sea monster who has a little buddy with, mm -hmm. a, with a beanie hat, you know? Yeah, dude. That makes sense to me. That checks out. I think we've solved <laughs> the mystery of Pondy, right? Yep. Here, here's the thing. We're, we're doing this because this is one of the most publicly acknowledged bases of that type, uh, but we don't know what else is out there. And it turns out the United States is not the only player in this strange underwater game. We'll talk about some of those other players once we get a quick word from our sponsor. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world. 
from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. So, it is not just the United States getting in on the underwater secret base, or maybe not so secret base, just cool underwater base game. We've also got China. China? China? Yes, the country of China. 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 <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not making fun of anyone. It's just one of those words that when you say it enough times... Uh, it starts to lose all meaning, and maybe we are making fun of someone a little bit. That's the there's a real term for that. It's called semantic satiation. Ooh, God, suck the joy right out of it for me, Ben. How does that suck the joy <laughs> out of it? <laughs> I want it to be mystical. You named the you unnameable your, your word exactly. I kid. But for real, there's a base that China plans to build, and it's real. This isn't made up. This is an actual thing with a budget, with people, like, with, with, it, there are outlines. There are people working on this right now. It would be located 10,000 feet below the ocean's surface, and it's going to search for valuable mineral deposits. And I'm sure that's all it's going to do, yep. even though it is on the coast of the South China Sea, one of the most heavily disputed areas in the world, maritime speaking. Mm -hmm. What are you implying, Ben, that there's some ulterior motive for this underwater clandestine facility? Dare I? Dare I imply such? I think he's implying it's multifaceted. China claims it's fluid. It's fluid. <laughs> there we go. China claims sovereignty over this huge swath of ocean in the area, and this causes multiple other countries in the region no small amount of distress because they want to be a regional mm -hmm. hegemon. And Vietnam is saying, well, hey, we own part of this. And then the Philippines are saying, hey, well, we own part of it. Pretty much every other country in the area is saying, calm down. You don't own the entire sea. And they're saying – I don't want to get too off topic here, but their argument is that it is historically Chinese territory based at least to some degree on this document written by a fisherman a long time ago, mm -hmm. one to which none of those other countries, by the way, agreed. And, uh, you know, they're like, hey. Just like a fisherman? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not like the head fisherman or – one yeah. one person. Oh. I, I can dig up the uh, I can dig up some more on that if we want to explore it. But the the problem here is, you know, as as we saw, they could say it's a, a mineral scouting mm -hmm. base all the live long day, and people are still going to treat it with the same skepticism that you would treat a country saying we're refining nuclear material. Just just for power purposes, mm -hmm. we're not doing anything else with it, we promise. Even though the steps to refine nuclear material for a power plant are indistinguishable for a lot uh, – for let's just say virtually indistinguishable from the refinement needed to make a weapon. And we have a quote here from uh, the president of the People's Republic of China, Xi Jinping. The deep sea contains treasures that remain undiscovered and undeveloped. And in order to obtain these treasures, we have to control key technologies in getting into the deep sea, discovering the deep sea, and developing the deep sea. Mm, going to get that deep sea action, man. Mm. Was yeah? Was his speechwriter paid by how many times they use the phrase deep sea? I think, I think perhaps. Uh, and we... <laughs> We also have a quote here when we look at it from the U.S. and like how are – how is the United States viewing this from a strategic standpoint when, you know, we talk – when Ben's mentioning all of these uh, different issues that are going to come up, you know, in international politics. Uh, so a gentleman named Brian Clark of the Washington Strategic and Budgetary uh, Assessments says – Having this kind of long-term inhabited station has not been attempted this deep, but it certainly is possible. Manned submersibles have gone to these depths for almost 50 years. The challenge is operating it for a 
for months at a time, which is the same thing we've been talking about this whole time. Time and time again. Mm-hmm. Time and undersea time again. Oh, excuse me, deep sea time again. How I just love it. They want to control it. They want to get into it. They want to discover it. And they want to develop it. That's that's true. So how serious is this? Because we know that over the decades, uh, numerous militaries have proposed some pretty cockamamie stuff. Yeah. And with varying degrees of seriousness or intention. Well, we know that at least from the perspective of the PRC, from China's perspective, uh, this is a real thing that mm-hmm. is happening. It's part of the five-year economic plan. They released in March of 2016, and it's ranked as number two on a list of the government's top 100 science and technology priorities. You can imagine if you could gain access to you know, any kind of mineral deposits that were before this point inaccessible, especially in large quantities, or if you could get maybe some rare earth minerals down there, maybe some stuff that's just been dormant for years and years and years, centuries, millennia. That could be huge economically for China. And let's go ahead and up the stakes further because it turns out that the Chinese government is already operating an underground military base for naval forces. It's called the Yulin Naval Base. It's built for nuclear submarines. It's on the southern coast of Hainan Island. And it's been re- – spooky thing is – yeah. People outside of the Chinese government learned about this because other governments' intelligence agencies were reporting it. China was just going to probably let this one slide. Yeah. Dude, according to the uh, reconnaissance, this it's like caverns, right? That's the idea. It's caverns where you can store up to 20 nuclear subs. And it's large enough to accommodate uh, – there's a harbor and the surface is large enough to accommodate aircraft carriers too, which the government is actively building. And I don't – I don't particularly care for it when we hear alarmism about another country doing things that other countries have been doing for a while. And I think a lot of people – a lot of people can agree when I say that Oftentimes, at least in the U.S., some things like this come up at just the right moment to distract people from a different issue. Mm. China? (laughs) Oh, boy. I wish wish you guys could see Noel's face right now because uh, just like Matt's look around – uh, no, you dropped it and ejected (laughs) it and then leaned back. Hmm. I I was the question-y face emoji. Yep, I saw it. The super producer Tristan – Communicates exclusively with that emoji. Did we? Have, we've mentioned that on the air before, right? Yeah. I think we've we've mentioned that his emoji game is on point. Yes, it is on point. Uh, so we we wanted to provide some examples of how this is actually happening, why it would be important, and the secrecy surrounding it. Because at this point, as we record this, we have to conclude that it may never be possible to know exactly how many military installations exist across the surface, much less under it, but it is almost entirely certain that there are more on the way, possibly being built now, possibly with money from uh, your taxes, depending on which country you live in, and definitely without your knowledge. Oh, yeah. And as, you know, our space programs continue to prosper, especially the private ones who are working with militaries, that moon base is not far away, you guys. I think our lifetimes... Moon base. I would totally live on a moon base. I would real. I'm. I don't know about you all, but I'm one of those people who, if I got a one way ticket to space, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Yeah, we're just gonna shoot you off. Can't come back. Probably gonna die on the ship." I would be all about it. I just want to go to sample that famous moon cuisine. Yeah. <laughs> so just a temporary like foodie trip. Just freeze freeze dried everything. Okay. Really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not just ice cream anymore. Man. You ever had moon cheese? Oh, no. I hear moon refried beans are exquisite. Is that a thing? It no, has to be. Does no. it come, I bet it comes like – it looks like a Rice crispy treat made That's of probably what it is. Beans. I was so disappointed. You can totally do that with refried beans. I was so disappointed when I learned the truth about moon pies that they're just like made in a factory in Tennessee. Just regular old factory pies? I was not a clever child. They're just made of like 90% palm oil. <laughs> <laughs> 
So did the Navy ever actually pursue this concept, this uh, rock site concept at Point Sur or elsewhere? Uh, we do know there was a 1971 study that discussed the various methods of seafloor excavation. But by that point, by the 1970s in the U.S., most of that sort of development was classified. So we don't know exactly what's happening now on the ocean floor, but we do know it remains the stuff they don't want you to know. Oh, and on a positive note, of course, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention there are multiple non-military efforts to build sustainable underwater habitats. And I think it is for pure research because it, yeah. it, it would be like living in space in many ways, you know, so it's not every we're saying not every underwater installation is designed to secretly deploy submarines and attack people. Exactly. Sometimes it's just about what happens when a bunch of people living deep underwater start stop being nice and start being real. <laughs> Have you seen the episode of Planet Earth about the deep, 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 deep ocean? The abyssal plane? Yeah, yeah, dude. Oh, my God. It's like a nightmare scape. Can you imagine yeah. opening up your window every morning and there's like an anglerfish out there <laughs> just like dangling its weird little lure? She's going, hey, hey, swallow your soul, swallow your soul. The only reassuring thing about that part of the planet is that due to tremendous pressure, the vast majority of those animals are so tiny. That's yeah. the only thing that makes me feel safe. If they, if they were even a, a foot longer, it would be too much Lovecraft for me. Yeah, there's some big ones down there too, though. So shout out to uh, the Marine Lab Underwater Laboratory. It's one of the longest serving seafloor habitats in history. I think it is the longest mm -hmm. serving. Uh, and that is in Key Largo, Florida. It's been around since 1984. It's a training center, too, if you want to go. Yeah, that's that's super cool. I think we also go there. Instead of going to the underwater hotel, let's just go to the Marine Lab. Let's do all of them. Okay. Do you want to go to the rock site? Because that sounds like a dope party at the rock site. Just got to go to Point Sur, man. <laughs> uh, also, it is a dream of mine. I don't know if any of uh, any of you out there, friends and neighbors, have ever done this, but it's completely possible to travel by cargo ship. Shoot the curl. That's what I was trying to remember the, the term for. <laughs> oh, my God. We're all over the place. I love you guys. <laughs> You're my friends. You're my dearest friends. Uh, Speaking of our dearest friends, though, holy cow. It's been a minute since we've done a shout out Our first shout out today comes from Jacob. Jacob says, hi, Matt, Nolan, Ben. I've been listening to your show for a while now. It's a wonderful way to help keep me sane while working in a metal shop. I would like to know if you know what we know and what we know we don't know about Area 51. Well, hey. We just <laughs> talked about that, Jacob. I, I think we got you covered. I grew up in southern Nevada and lived there for 10 years. My dad was in the military, relatively high-ranking too, and still I heard almost nothing about it other than one of my friend's dads worked there but couldn't say what he was doing. Also, if you read this on air or on podcast, canned air, I guess, could I get a birthday shout-out for my very special wife, Kelsey? Guess what, Kelsey? Down, 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 down. The shout outs for you, Kelsey. Down, 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 Kelsey. Happy birthday, Kelsey. And, uh, thanks for writing to us, Jacob. We do have, we do have some other, I think we talked about Area 51 in some earlier episodes too. It continually comes yeah. up and we have some videos of, about it on YouTube, uh, that we definitely recommend you check out. Next, we've got one from Helen. She says, hey, guys, I just wanted to say you're awesome. Thanks, Helen. We think you're awesome, too. Uh, I have never been much into conspiracy, but I've enjoyed learning from you all. I respect very deeply that you start with the facts and then – and I say that with quotes, quote fingers – and then talk about your own opinions. The sign of a great intellectual is that he can present facts and opinions as separate. I have been so inspired by your work and look forward to every episode. I live in Athens. I don't know if you travel up that way much, but I would always have a free place to stay. Oh, man, Helen, that was so nice. I, I really, I'm kind of embarrassed that I was the one to read it. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm blushing all over, and uh, I love Athens, and I think these guys do too. Yeah, uh, I, I lived there for a little while and uh, and, and miss it very much, so – yeah. Well, my question is, wait, this this email goes on, right? What is she buttering us up for something? Oh man, you're right, Ben. There there is more. Um I was so enraptured by the the 
the compliments being lavished upon us that I, I didn't even notice that there was a point to all this. Um, I've been wanting to request a shout out forever since you first started them. Uh, yes, I've been listening that long. Awesome. Um, but wanted to have a show idea to include. Now I have two. One, the hollow moon. We were just talking about moon cuisine. Uh, spaceship. I just heard this theory on the History Channel. Yeah, um, is is the moon hollow and is it a spaceship? Was it, it a spaceship? An ancient relic of an extraterrestrial? Yeah, did humans get here on the moon? I'm going to say no. Well, we should look into it. Okay, I guess we can do that, Matt. The moon is relatively unexplored. There's that. Mm-hmm. That's very true. So it, it's possible that uh, there are things it, – it's certain that there are things there that we are not yet aware of. 100%. It is a very tall milkshake to sip to think that it could be a wreck of a spacecraft. Right, so that would almost be implying – Oh, I see what you're saying. If it's hollow, I was thinking like, so does that mean it's like a prop or something? It's like some <laughs> sort of like, it's like a piece of space scenery. So yeah, I, I mean, I think it's definitely worth looking into. I didn't know that the history channel was looking at that stuff. Yeah. Ancient aliens. Oh, that's right. Okay. Well, we will, uh, we will dig in and see if we can give it a go. Let's see what's out there because I'd also be interested in finding out just what what we suspect is on the moon but hasn't been discovered yet. You should check out our sister podcast, Stuff You Miss in History's two-part episode on the Great Moon Hoax. Because if you want some uh, some moon tomfoolery, mm-hmm. there's some good stuff in there. All kinds of wacky ideas that people had in their heads about what was on the moon. So check those out from Holly and Tracy. Um, and then Helen goes on to have a second idea, GMOs. There's been all sorts of experiments proving they're terrible for you. What's up with that? Genetically modified organisms. Proving that's okay. I I'm interested in that because I don't. Well, I think more suggesting. Yeah, yeah. I have. I am not personally uh, familiar with a lot of studies or experiments pertaining to this. Uh, on a personal level, I I will say that I don't see anything wrong with labeling uh, a food product uh, or labeling food as containing GMOs. I completely don't see why somebody would have a uh, bug on their bubkiss about it. But uh, the idea of the studies, we, we would really need to look into those to, yeah. to, re- to do an episode on it. The only issue I could see are plants that are specifically modified to withstand certain pesticides or insecticides. I can only imagine that that's the only place that I would be worried, uh, like even at all. About genetically modified organisms. Aren't there issues that how it could cause, um, like superbugs and stuff? Did I make that up? No, that's a, that's a good point because we know with large scale agriculture or agribusiness, uh, we know there's been a trend toward homogenous, uh, homogenous agricultural products. Like you, it's very real possibility that as we're recording this, and if you're listening to this now, the banana as we know it may be extinct within our lifetimes because it's essentially just a, a thing that has been cloned. And this won't be the first time that humanity lost the most popular banana, which is why banana flavored candy tastes different in comparison to the modern banana. Cavendish v. Gross Michel. The last thing Helen says is that she has a book on the subject called Altered Genes, Twisted Truths. And uh, she says she'd – wait. She says she'd love for us to have it and drop by the studio if we wanted it. So please shout me out. So much love. So thanks so much, Helen. And, uh, you know, shoot us an email. Maybe we can uh, we can arrange a visit. The next shout-out goes to Samuel. Uh, he wrote us an email. He says, hello, I'm an artist, and I want to send a gift to you guys that I think you may appreciate, but I don't know who or how to address it so that Matt and Ben and Noel and Paul will receive it. Can you please tell me what address to send it to? Thank you. Well, first of all, Samuel, hmm. as an artist, good on you, sir. Uh, it is not easy to to do that. I hope you have some kind of uh, inflow of money from the art that you create. And if not, I hope you are doing something else fulfilling in your life that is, uh, you know, letting you pay rent. God, you're a good guy, Matt. Uh, well, okay. Well, I'm just saying, you know, it's cool that you're creating art and that, especially that you want to send it to us. Agreed. 
Our address is, everybody, uh, write this down, uh, if you are, um, not scary and you don't want to hurt us, uh, please write this down. Definitely no Unabombers. I'm okay with a scary, scary mail right up my alley. I just bring that up because I started watching the, the Manhunt series. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very good. Well, um, if you're on a manhunt for Ben and Matt and Noel, uh, here's where you go. It's 675. Ponce de Leon Avenue, Northeast, Suite 4500. That's Atlanta, Georgia, 30308. And seriously, no creepers. We've got like top-notch security here, so you will not make it past the front door. We've got attack yeah. dogs. The sentry guns are on lock. They are, they are big time. We, uh, but also, I hope this we doesn't come back. Everyone. I hope this doesn't come back to bite us. <laughs> and this concludes our. <laughs> But not our show. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. You are the most important part of every episode we do, which means that we want to hear from you. Do you have military experience? Have you lived on a submarine? If so, what do you think about the idea of people spending extended amounts of time underwater? When we say extended, we mean years do you live on a yellow submarine? Have you been to an octopus's garden in the shade? Have you seen blue meanies about? If so, please contact the authorities first, then us. And if you have not uh, found some meanies, blue or otherwise, or been on a submarine, yellow or otherwise, uh, but you have a suggestion for our show, a topic you feel that your fellow listeners would like to hear in the future, please let us know. You can find Matt, Noel, and I on Instagram. You can find us on our website, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. You can find us on Facebook, where we post a lot of stories that for some reason or another don't make it to the air. Yeah, that's correct. And Twitter and all that stuff. But the best way to contact us, it always has been, it always will be. Write us an email. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 